we've been on this topic of, of biblical prosperity. And I, re I really want to stress that, that there is, um, you know, you can talk about prosperity from all different angles, but as believers, people who love Jesus, and I know that's why you're here today. You didn't come out today because you didn't have any other options. I mean, y'all at least had this option, stay in bed, and you chose to get out and be in the house of the Lord. And so we want to learn what the Word of God says about it. And God really wants to bless us and wants us to have more than enough. Why? So we can build our own little kingdoms? No, we've already studied that. He says, I want to enrich you in every way so that you may be generous on every occasion. And so we need to be people that we just say, hey, God, if you get it to us, you can get it through us. So we just want to have more than enough so we can be a blessing. In fact, God, we should have more than enough of everything. I, you should have more than enough joy. More than enough peace, more than enough hope, more than enough love, more than enough resources. So it's not just about money and stuff and things, but money and stuff and things you might notice are pretty important. I mean, what, what if you had an extra car and somebody didn't have a car? You could share that, but you can't do that if you don't have an extra car. What if somebody's in need and you can look in your billfold or purse and find a little extra money to help them? Well, that, that's, it's good to have more than enough. Again, not just to build your kingdom, but to be a blessing. When I think about having more than enough, I often think, of uh, little Oliver Twist. Little Oliver Twist comes, you know, he's, he's, ate, he's eaten this meager bowl of porridge, which if you've ever seen any of the Oliver Twist shows, it kind of looks like wallpaper paste that they plop in there. And uh, so he comes up and asks for more. The thing I often think about is how I think that a high percentage of the Christian world thinks the response he gets is the response God gives to us if we say we want more. That if we would say we would want more, God would say, well, how dare you want more? What are you, an uh, ungrateful street urchin? You know, I can't believe you're not happy with this wallpaper paste I just fed you. You ought to be happy about it. And there's all kinds of, in the Oliver Twist thing, all kinds of little symbols. There's a, it's, it's supposed to be a Christian orphanage. And on the wall, it, you know, it says uh, that God is truth and God is holy and there's a cross and they pray and bless their food. Uh, but the people that run the place, they're not living like the little orphans out there. They're living quite different. And so I want you to know that God really doesn't have a problem with giving you a little more. And I want us to show that. Let's show that little clip there. Sir, I want some more. What? Please, sir, I want some more. Match uh, the beetle. Oliver Twist has asked for more. For more? Compose yourself, Mr. Bumble, and answer me distinctly. Do I understand that he asked for more after he had eaten his supper? He did, sir. 
That boy will be hanged. <laughs> oh my goodness. You, you know, they were pretty opulent. I mean, he's food flying out of his mouth while he's talking. There's a big feast before them, but how dare him ask for more? I think sometimes we think that God's like that. How, how, dare, how dare them ask for more? And so today I, I've titled this Asking for More. Asking for more. That it is okay to ask for more. Now, now we think oftentimes that God's like that. But I want to show you what God says he's like. See, I'm, I'm often amazed, and this is true of any area of life. You know, you, in the political world, you know, everybody's hating on each other, and so they're always saying what the other person's like, whom they probably have never met or had a conversation with. And the same way about people say that, like, oh, this person's that way. Well, you've never even met them or talked to them. And I always am amazed that people who don't know God, don't serve God, don't know anything about God, know exactly what God is like. And well, well, that's, you Christians shouldn't have more. But there's a wild story in the Bible. David, and many of you here are familiar with it, David has sinned with Bathsheba. He's committed adultery with Bathsheba. And uh, the Bible even says, uh, it's very interesting how it chooses its words, it says that, that, that Uriah's wife is going to lose that baby. It doesn't call it David's wife. It says Uriah's wife is going to lose this baby that's, that's conceived in, in adultery. And if, you've, if you haven't read the story, you know, if you want to get depressed for a moment, read the story, because it's, it's depressing how somebody who really loves God can end up so messed up, and there's so much sin and so much craziness in the story, and a prophet named Nathan goes to David and says, says tells him a story. Tells him a story about this rich guy who had plenty of everything and plenty of sheep and cattle and everything, but he's going to have a party, and he wants to feed his friends. So he decides, I'm not going to use any of my sheep. There's this one poor neighbor who has one sheep. And this one sheep is like a family member, like a pet. They love this sheep. And so the rich guy decides to go take the sheep from the poor guy, the sheep that they love, slaughter it, kill it, and feed his friends. Well, by the time Nathan's done the story, King David's amped up. And he said, as surely as the Lord lives, that man ought to die. And then Nathan looks at him and says, thou art the man. You're the man. And then he goes on to say this. Now here's, I want you to catch God's heart. I don't have a slide for it, but it's found in 2 Samuel 12, verse 7 and 8. The 2 Samuel 12, 7 and 8. And, and then it says, and Nathan, being the prophet, says, and then God said, I anointed you king of Israel. Now, the backstory to that is, basically God is saying, remember the day you were anointed king of Israel? Your family didn't even think you were worthy to call in out of the field for the prophet to meet you. And yet, you're the one I waited till you were pulled out and I anointed you as king. And then I protected you for years from that maniac Saul. And then one day, you inherited all of his kingdom and his wives and his fortune and his throne. And then it says, and I made you king over Israel and Judah. Now, that may not mean much to you, but if you read the Old Testament, the kingdom had been divided for years and years and years and years. And there was a king of Israel and a king of Judah. Then under David, they came together. He said, you have rulership over all that. Now, listen to what God says. He says, if that had not been enough, I would have given you more. Isn't that crazy? One translation says, and if that had been too little, I would have given you more. Wow. We think, well, God wouldn't want to give you anything. Yeah, he does. 
what he, what he doesn't want, because this, this was always our goal, and I'm not sure we succeeded at it, but our goal with our children was we did not want to raise spoiled brats, but we wanted to raise blessed kids. And I think that's God's heart. He doesn't want us to be spoiled, ungrateful, unthankful brats, but what good parent does not enjoy, actually enjoy blessing their children? And God is, we compared to God are often referenced as evil compared to how good he is. And so he's a wonderful God. But I do want to talk about some potential pitfalls just quickly because when you talk about prosperity, when you talk about increase, when you talk about having more, you can, you know, have some pitfalls. So let's look at these pitfalls. The first one is greed and materialism. It's where you can say, oh yeah, I want more. I want more stuff, more this, more that. There is a time that you need more stuff. If you don't have a car that operates, you, you need that. God's not bummed by that at all. But sometimes we can think, it's just more, more, more for me, 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 me. And we can get greedy and we can get materialistic. And that's not God's heart in this message. Also, we could be full of ingratitude and thanklessness. That's a big deal to God, that we are thankful people and not unthankful people. And so we don't want to breed with this teaching ingratitude or thanklessness. The, the third one is that thinking that God is your servant. He is not. He's not genie in a lamp that you rub and say, oh, go fetch me this and get me that. He's not your little errand boy. He is God. He is God of all the universe. He's a good, wonderful, incredible father, but he's not your servant. He's not your errand boy. And so I want to make sure that we don't fall into any of these pitfalls. And I also want to make sure that wherever you're at on your journey in this, that you will understand this is applicable for you. You can apply this. Because sometimes... We'll talk and say, well, you know, we talked about, you know, being generous to the house of the Lord, being generous towards our neighbors, being generous toward the poor and needy, being generous towards, and you're thinking, I'm just trying to make ends meet. You know, I don't know where I got all this stuff to be, have all this generosity. And you think, I'm just trying to figure out how to put gas in the car. And I, I, the concept of putting something in the offering plate and helping a needy neighbor and, and having a generous spirit towards missions or the poor and needy, I just can't even fathom that. Well, I want you to know that everyone in this room, well, I won't say everyone, probably almost everyone in this room has been there. Some of you may be there right now. That's okay. Listen to me carefully. Just start where you are. Just start where you are. I, I never forgot this story. I don't know why it's stuck in my head so much, but I, I, I love the guy's heart. He said he literally had nothing, and the offering bag was going by, and he wanted to give. Catch it. He broke off a button off of his shirt and put it into the, the offering. Now, I, you know, I don't, they probably, if you've counted an offering, you'll, okay, what are we going to do with this? I'm not sure. But I love the guy's heart. He said, I want to, I have nothing to give, but I'll, I want to put something in there. And so just start where you're at. And of course, the basket's back there, they're full of shirt buttons after service. You know, people be going, we got some people need prosper. That's okay. You just start wherever you're at. So, there's a, a mistake I think people make, and I want to really encourage us not to do this. Uh, I, I call it eating your seed. I want to make sure that you don't eat your seed, that you, you, don't, you don't devour it. There was even an old principle of investment and prosperity. I'm talking back in the 1800s. And the principle is called guns and butter. And they said, when you invest money, you can invest in guns, which guns would have resale value. They'd keep their worth. Sometimes they would appreciate it. Of course, you could hunt with it and, you know, make money with a gun and all that. 
or you could buy butter, which is sweet and tasty and wonderful, and the next thing you know, you've eaten it all, and it's all gone. So the, the concept was, you know, buy guns, not just butter. I mean, it's a time to buy some butter, but if we're not careful, we put all of our money into just stuff, and we're eating our seed. We're not investing in the kingdom of God. And since God always talks about, almost always, so many spiritual principles would be like a, 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 a farmer, a crop farmer, uh, think about a person who says, maybe this couple, young couple says, I believe we're supposed to, you know, be a crop farmer of a thousand acres, but they have five acres. And they check the seed, and they only have enough seed to sow one acre. They could say, well, we'll just make bread and corn cakes and pastries and, and, and flour and stuff like that. No, don't do that. You'll be eating your seed. You, you do have to live, obviously, but then you invest. And maybe in a year or so, you've got enough to plant three acres. And, and then, then down the road, there's a guy selling 100 acres of his farm. And so you buy that, invest in that. And over a process of time, you, you now can maybe sow 80 acres and then 100 and then 500. And, and I promise you, most of the time, it does not happen overnight. It's, it's using your seed wisely, planting your seed wisely, harvesting wisely. Of course, you do. The Bible says a hardworking farmer should be first to eat of the harvest. So there's nothing wrong that you, I mean, you've got to live. But you've got to make sure that you're not wasting all that, that you're investing it. And that's what God always talks about. And one day, if they stay on track, they'll probably have a 1,000 acres that they can farm and they can plant seed in because they've been wise. They didn't eat their seed. Another thing that often happens is we're, and I'm talking about me too, we, we sometimes think, well, well, I'm going to really do that when everything is just right, when everything's just perfect. So we say, you know what, I'm really going to start being a generous giver. Once we got the cars paid off, and once we got the credit cards paid off, and once we got the home mortgage down a little, I'm going to, I'm going to really be a generous giver. You know, once my um, uh, uncle passes away and gives me all that inheritance I'm waiting for, I'm going to really be a generous giver. But you've got to start wherever you're at. By the way, I have two examples. I have a, a sister-in-law whose aunt was very, very wealthy and always told them, I mean, she owned hotels and all kinds of stuff and always told them that I'm not given to, I'm, I'm given to your generation, not to your parents because they've already had their life. And she passed away. And this true story, so, you know, she's thinking, she really told me this one day and she, she said, I, I don't know what we'll do with all the money because Aunt Mary was very, very wealthy. Well, somehow Aunt Mary did something with the money because they got like, like 80 bucks. Now, that's pretty disappointing when you think you're going to you know, get this big windfall and you find out that you get 80 bucks. I had a buddy who had an aunt who never got married, was a hard worker, saved all her money, lived very frugally, and so he, they passed away in the same scenario. They were giving the, the money to that generation. And so we were talking on the phone. He said, I just started thinking, I wonder how much money she could have saved over her life. I mean, I could have done this, and I got four kids. You know, what if they did this, and what if they did that? So they were talking about all this you know, how big could this be? And then one day, I mean, I, every time I talked to him, I'd say, well, you got that inheritance? I said, yeah, I did. I said, sure did. And he said, um, it almost covered our meal at Olive Gardens. Um, they took the family. I think they got like 100 bucks from that. So if you're thinking, one day when my rich relative dies, I'm not going to promise you that there's going to be anything left once the rich relative dies. So you can't wait for everything to be perfect. You have to start wherever you are at. There's a, there's a verse for that in Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes 11, verse 4, it says, He who observes the wind will not sow or plant. 
and he who regards the clouds will not reap. What the verse is saying is, if you wait for everything to be perfect, you'll never do anything. You'll go out to sow and you say, well, you know, the wind's kind of windy today, and maybe today's not a good day. And then if you ever do plant, you go out to harvest, well, clouds are out there, it looks a little rainy, maybe we better hold off. Basically, the verse says, you got to do what you got to do. You start wherever you're at, and you make the most of your situation. So don't eat your seed, and don't say, once everything's perfect, then I'll really start, I'll really start being a generous person. You start wherever you're at right now. And it's often a process, as Mark 4.28 tells us. There's this beautiful verse that says in Mark 4.28, all by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. It's a process. And so we plant, and then God does the rest. And we don't have to actually make it happen. I've seen people do that. Uh, they just try to make things happen. I've got to make this happen. And, and by the way, if you do this, I'm not opposed to it at all. I just don't want to turn, I don't want to turn things into superstitions and lucky rabbit's foots. You know what I mean? But, but you may do something that blesses you. I had a person come up to me one time years ago, and they said, man, we haven't really been prospering like we used to. And, uh, and I thought, oh, my goodness. I used to always write a couple Bible verses in the memo of my check and put a little confession in there. And that's why we're not prospering. I said, well, first of all, I don't have any problem with you doing that seriously if you do that. But I said, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, give, and it shall be given unto you. That's where your faith needs to lie. It doesn't say give, make sure you put the exact great, perfect, awesome prosperity Bible verse in your memo check, and then it'll be given to you. No. Now those things, again, are you hearing me? I don't mind if you do that. I don't think it's wrong. I think it's wrong once it becomes a superstition. Once it becomes a lucky rabbit's foot, oh, that, this is why it's not working. No, God says give and it shall be given. I don't have to make it happen. I don't have to force it to happen. It's, it's going to happen. Now I'm going to share with you some testimonies today because I want you to know life isn't always perfect. <clears throat> the only thing I was thinking about these, because these are personal testimonies of mine and Darling's life, is I thought by the time we're done with these, they're going to say, that's not a good plan. God's not very good at this. <laughs> and uh, you'll see why here in a second. Darlene and I are newly married. Sean, our oldest, he's a toddler. I got a pretty good job, and we're, uh, you know, having a good job making money is totally perspective. You know what I'm saying? Uh, just depends upon. But for us, I'd made $30,000 a year before, and this is several years ago, so that was pretty good money to me. And uh, I thought, oh man, next year, if we could make another $30,000, you know, we'll be on Easy Street. Well, then I lose a job. And then it's like a struggle. And I still remember this conversation. We're filling out the taxes for that year. And the tax lady calls me up and says, are you aware that you only made $14,000 this year? I said, trust me, sister, we are painfully aware that we only made $14,000 that year. Now, people always want to hear like, but, but you were faithful givers. You lost your job? Yeah. But, but God, God stepped in the next day, didn't he? And he you got a job worth three times the money. Uh-uh. No, like a whole year of just, you know, barely surviving. But I'm telling you something. We continue to be givers. We continue to be generous with our money. Well, then we're making some progress, and we start working. We're increasing. We're doing pretty good for us. Again, it's all relative. We're doing pretty good for us. And then we have this little piece of property, and this neighbor decided that they wanted the piece of property. 
I thought, this is odd. And so we end up, um, I end up talking to them, dealing with everything. I said, oh, first of all, they wanted to use our property for ingress and egress to their property. And I said, just use it. You can use it like it's your own. Just don't block the thing. Just use it like it's your own. So I thought that ought to be generous enough. And uh, then they decided, no, they're going to sue me for my property. True story. Well, $20,000 later in legal fees, we won. Hands down. There's three criteria over whose property this was, and we won on all three of them $20,000 later. Now, that was a long time ago. $20,000 is still big money to me now, let alone back then. And, of course, people would say, well, why, why didn't you sue them, you know, for your money? Well, I thought about that, too. So I asked my attorney, can we do that? This was a frivolous lawsuit. He said, you can do it. And in the United States of America, you rarely win. What you will probably do is amass another big bill with me, and you will not win. But he said, you can do whatever you want, but I'm just telling you, it'll be rare that you'll win. I said, okay, so we ate that. I know you're, you're listening here and think, boy, it sounds really exciting to be a faithful giver. Sounds like things are really, you know, just everything will work out wonderful. Well, it gets worse or better. I don't know how you want to say it. Back several years ago, right over there in that office, I bring it up as often as I can for sympathy, uh, I fell dead over there. And that's a whole story, and most of you probably know it. And so they did CPR on me, three different people, for 20 minutes because the ambulance doesn't get here too fast. And so then I get lifeline to St. Francis, and, and uh, I stop at Columbus Regional, which is kind of nice because I just stopped long enough in the ER to get a big ER bill, and then they put us on a helicopter and put me on a helicopter, lifeline me to St. Francis. They said, uh, the gal said, I love St. Francis. I'm glad we're taking you there. And she said, um, uh, it'll be less than 15 minutes from the time we lift off to touch down. Now, it was an $18,000 helicopter ride. Now, I don't know. That's big money to me. So I'm thinking to myself, do I not get a flight home? And you do not get a flight home. It's a one way. It looks like they'd, for $18,000, I expect a flight home, a ticker tape parade, you know, some celebration, but it's not. Then the insurance company said, we don't cover that. And then we thought, oh, that's great. And then they said, oh, sorry, it's not that we don't cover it. We didn't have enough information. So Darling got them the information, and they took care of that. But what happened in all that mess, too, is that if you know anything about health care bills, they can get expensive. And our, our insurance was pretty high here at the church. And no one asked me to do it. I just thought, man, that's a lot of money the church spends for, for our insurance, health insurance. So I'm going to whittle that down for this. I, I brilliantly got a $10,000 deductible plus an 80-20, thinking I would never use it anyway. Well, when you have a $10,000 deductible and an 80-20 and you've had been lifeline somewhere and yada, 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 you run up a pretty big bill. And so it gets worse. I know, are you encouraged? It gets worse. And so then I come back from the hospital, and I'll give you just a little background, this side story that's going on. My kids in the summertime would silk coat and stripe parking lots. And so we we had a bid in on a parking lot, and they gave it to us, but they waited to the fall to do it while my kids are back in school. So I sub it out to a guy. It came highly recommended, super nice guy. We walk the lot. We look at all of it. He does a job, and he does do a fantastic job, does a fantastic job. And when he's done, he tells me, he said, you know what? He said, um, that was harder than I thought, and so it's going to cost you $5,000 more. I said, I'm sorry, we have a contract. We don't have a guesstimate or an estimate, or a handshake. We have a written legal contract. And I said, I would love to do a job and just tell somebody, yeah, I need $5,000 more. Now, it's weird because if you saw his 
we had the adult conversation. We weren't getting mad at each other. He said, hey, he said, I've been at this 20 years. I know what this takes. I said, okay. Well, if you've been at it 20 years, I walked this lot with you personally. I didn't send you a map or a picture or talk to you. You walked it. You've been at this 20 years. You should have been able to come up with a perfect estimate, or not an estimate, but a quote for the thing. Well, so I come back from the hospital uh, from all that ordeal of dying, and when we get home, there's something on the front door, and it's uh, from the sheriff. I'm being sued for $5,000 from this guy. So I call him up, get his voicemail, and said, hey, I just got a love letter from the sheriff on my front door, and, uh, you know, we need to work this thing out. And so I take it to the attorney, the one that won the last one for $20,000. And so he takes it, I tell him, I say, here's our contract, and I don't hear anything about it forever. And then just uh, like two weeks before Christmas, I get this letter from the attorney. And I thought, oh, I've been dreading this. So we opened it up and it said, hey, they know they don't have a case. We had three different appointments. They didn't show up, said, it's done, it's over with, and I'm not charging you anything. Merry Christmas. Finally, a breakthrough. Thank God. Uh, which was kind of them, because I believe a worker's worthy of their hire. He deserved whatever he was going to, whatever he did. So things started to turn around. Darlene got right on top of it. She's type A, administrator type of person. I always joke around, she's type A, I'm type Z. And uh, so she was calling up all these bill collectors and, and people we would owe money to and all the hospitals and doctors and, and everything and telling them what our situation was and, you know, be patient with us, we'll figure all this out. Because what we did is we went from being in the black a few hundred dollars a month to now being deeply in the red a few hundred dollars a month. So I don't know if you understand that term, but that means you don't, you got more month left at the end of your money, if that makes sense. You run out way early and you got all these bills to pay. So we, we and everybody was so gracious and so kind and worked with us as we went through that, except for one company. We had one company because we had a second mortgage on our home, and it was just a short-term little loan, so the payment was high, if that makes sense. It wasn't very long, it was high. But it was $80,000, so the monthly payment was super high because we just wanted to knock it off fast. So they don't really want to work with us. We're doing everything we know to do, uh, but we tell them. I, I actually talked to them. I said, look, if you'll lengthen the length of this loan, we'll pay you on time every time, and you'll make you know, so much more money off the interest we're going to pay. And they said, nah, we don't want to do that. Only one that didn't work with us. So we're struggling with that loan. And then over a period of months, we start finding these dimes everywhere. Now, it wasn't enough to pay the bill, but you get the idea. We're finding these dimes everywhere. I was even in the Mojave Desert. Not actually, well, I was in the desert, but on the highway, not just cutting down the sand. And I'm pulling over like you have to do about every 30 minutes when you're on a motorcycle in the Mojave Desert. And I get something to drink, and I come back out, and there's three dimes. Like if my motorcycle tire was here, there's a dime there, a dime there, and a dime here. And I called Darlene and said, this is crazy, I've got three dimes. Like I parked between dimes up there. Well, there's a, actually a purpose to this. Um, my father passes away, and I have a little inheritance coming. Now, we weren't rich people, which is why we never fought over the inheritance. Because I sat down with my two brothers. My brother Everett went on to be a Jesus on January 1st. I sat down with my brothers, and I said, guys... I said, I don't have this in writing, but I remember distinctly mom and dad said that when they pass away, I am to get everything. <laughs> and uh, my two brothers just said, that's fine. Now, I don't know if it had been fine if it had been multi-millions of dollars, but <laughs> in this, that's fine. So it's going to be a few thousand bucks. Um, and we get a letter. Darlene gets the mail, and she opens up the letter. Oh, my God, I 
mortgage. That second mortgage company said, if we will pay 20% of the $80,000, they'll call the loan even. Now, I, I'm a simple person. I'm thinking, so you can afford to do that, but you couldn't afford to lengthen the length of the loan and get all the money plus the interest? I'm sorry, I must be a horrible financier. I thought that sounded like a better idea. So Darlene calls him. She says, you know what? She said, we've been finding these dimes everywhere. I'm going to ask them for 10%. I said, sounds good to me. So she talks to him and said, would you guys take 10%? And the lady said, just a minute, put her on hold. Came back in like three minutes and said, yes, we'll take 10%. So for $8,000, I saved $72,000 on $80,000 loan, just supernaturally, miraculously taken care of, which again still blows my mind that the bank could have, and I know people say, well, they can write all that stuff. I say, get that, but why would you not want to make big money off of it for a longer-term loan? So the moral of the story is eventually there starts to be a turn, <laughs> and so we got aggressive over all the doctor bills, hospital bills, any bill we had, and when all the dust settled, we were 100% debt-free except our mortgage on our home, only one mortgage, a mortgage on our home, which she's been so aggressive at, it's, it's been knocked way, way down. But don't give up. Just keep, keep, keep sowing. Keep giving. You know, you say, yeah, but that wasn't that inspiring of a story, you know, of being faithful to give. But keep being faithful. I had a gentleman at the church many years ago, and he said that the church he attended before always talked about tithing, 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 tithing. So one time he said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to tithe faithfully, 100% faithfully for a solid year. So he came up to me afterwards. We were talking about the subject like this, and he said, I tithed one time for a solid year and did not notice uh, any change in my finances. I said, okay, I figure he wasn't lying to me. I said, let me ask you this question. Were you worse off? I mean, did it hurt you financially? Did you feel like you weren't going to pay your bills? You weren't going to eat your food? He said, no, it didn't. I said, then why not give? Why not be a giver even if there's no return? Why not have the heart of the Father that just says, I want to bless, I want to give, I want to help? I want to do. And I, I say that because I love what I'll mention every now and then. Habakkuk's a beautiful story. Habakkuk's crying out for more. He's saying, we want a return of your power. We want a return of your glory. We want a return of your prosperity. We want a return of everything. But then he says, as we mentioned before, but I do want you to know this, Lord. If there's not a cattle in the stall, if there's no sheep in the pasture, if there's no grapes on the vine, if there's no figs on the trees, it really doesn't matter because you're still God. You're still Lord. And I say, that's true. So I want to be generous even if there isn't a return, but I believe there is a return because God says there is. See, I, I like giving to the needy because there's this beautiful promise that says, when you give to the needy or to the poor, the Lord says, I will repay you. Why does he say that? He says that because they can't repay you. But God says, I'm not going to leave you in the hole. I'm going to pay you. So when you give to the poor and the needy, man, because I, I know you'll never be a debtor to God. You'll ne God will never look at you and say, ah, sorry, I can't help you out right now. God always does good. We had, a, in the midst of all that, I'll tell you another story where it starts to turn. Uh, we had a sabbatical one time, Eli Lilly, Lilly Endowment gives. It's a grant. You don't pay it back. It's big money just to relax and travel and, and, 
and refresh yourself as a minister. So Darlene said, why don't you apply for that again? Because you can apply every seven years. And it had been about 10 years. And I said, I, I can't figure out why they would give me another sabbatical. I mean, it's not like, you know, the church is now 3,000 people and we've got multi-campuses and all this growth has happened. And oh my goodness, we want to bless you again. And I said, I can't, can't figure that out, why they would. And I would be, if I was on the board, I'd be saying, we already gave this guy one. You know, let's look at these other people that have never had one. And she said, I just feel like you're supposed to do it. Now, on a back pedal, that particular year, we had given, and the church wasn't going under, but it was tight. And we'd given over eight, we gave $18,000 above our normal giving, above our tithing. For us, I'm not fighting or arguing about the tithe. I've just done, I think it's a good starting place. Did you hear that? I think it's a good starting place for Christians. And so we'd always done that. We gave $18,000 over that. And I thought, there's nobody to repay that. You know what I mean? You know how some, like my son Mitch works in a big corporation in the computer world, and there's always like, he can get advances and these big salaries and stuff. But, you know, it's not like people are going to come in and say, hey, pastor, we're going to advance you to another level of pastorship. There's so much money around here. We just want to give you more money. And, and I feel blessed anyway. But I said, the only reason I think we would get that sabbatical was because of that generous giving we gave. She comes in, flapping an envelope one day and says, you got that sabbatical, got rewarded that. I totally believe that was from God said, there's no way that anybody can repay you except for me. And he made a way to repay us. And so I just quit saying, because you're probably in the same boat as me. You got a job where you're thinking, I mean, I can't imagine them coming in tomorrow and saying, we're just going to give you a $20,000 year raise. We're just going to do this or do that. How could God? Because God's unlimited. He's unlimited. There's no, there's no end to what he can do. So just relax and let God do it. Let him do it. I want you to know this. And, and next week we're going to look at really, we've looked at more of the natural side of things, but don't be fooled. The natural stuff is still spiritual as well. I think we get messed up in that thinking, no, all of our lives are spiritual. And so everything we do is, get, is, is spiritual. But we're going to deal with more of the, what we think of as spiritual things next week when it comes to prosperity, about seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness and, and really keeping our focus on Jesus. And, and two things. One, if you keep your focus on Jesus and if you release and give, it will crush, you hear me say this on occasion, it will crush the dragon of greed. You can't keep your eyes on Jesus and let loose of it and not kill greed. But the Bible says there are some people who clench their fist and hold on tight. Listen to what the Bible says. This is the Bible. And they come to nothing. And there's those who give freely and prosper. They open their hands and prosper. It doesn't work on the ledger sheet, but it works in the kingdom. And it works in agriculture. It works with God. He is able. He is able. So I want to look at these last verses. This is Jesus speaking in Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. I want us to keep asking. And we keep checking our hearts. Say, okay, Lord, am I, am I asking because I'm just ungrateful or unthankful? No. I'm keeping, I want a heart of generosity. I'm, I'm asking so I can give. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. 
Now, for those who like to study words, these are what they call present progressives. They, they could be this, keep on asking. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. For everyone, are you an everyone? Yeah. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And the Bible actually has an exclamation point at the end of that. It's, in fact, I want you to know this, God will do it. So here's our assignment. You think this will be easy for Americans, but I think one of our difficulties as Christians is we think, am I being ungrateful? I don't think you have to be ungrateful. Ask for more. Jesus said, ask. Jesus said, seek. Jesus said, knock. Ask for more. And just ask them. Now, you may be at a place, I'm serious, I want to say it again. The first thing I need to do with more is put some gas in my car. I get that. God gets that. He's, he's not, well, how dare you? I gave you 20 bucks and you put it in the gas tank. Well, it's because I was running out of gas. He knows those things. But you'll keep blessing and keep blessing. And then one day you'll be able to fill up somebody else's gas tank. One day you'll be able to help someone else. So just ask and keep asking. Knock and keep knocking. Seek and keep seeking. And God will increase you. And as he increases you, you'll get the joy. And I, I'm sure everyone in here has done it. So I'm not sound, trying to sound like you haven't done it. But we'll, we'll do it more often. As we give, we will find, and you've all failed it, the joy in giving. That's why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so wherever you're at, just practice. Start practicing generosity, small little ways. Practice generosity. I'll say this last thing because I want to drive this point home. There was, I was in the Walmart line one time, and there's a person in front of me, and their card wasn't working, things weren't working, and, and they were on the phone and calling their spouse, hey, you know, can you help me figure out how to get this to work? And so, I mean, he was occupied, and I'm serious about this. I didn't want to say I'll pay for it, and then them say, fantastic, he bought four large screen TVs, you know. So I said, how much does he owe? And they said, like, 17 bucks. I said, oh, I'll just pay for it. And, of course, he was blessed, I was blessed, she was blessed. I still remember lines that said, it restored faith in humanity. And I thought, what, 17 bucks did? But anyway, just somebody to have a generous spirit, a generous heart. And so, but I could do something small. I mean, if this thing would have been $1,000, I couldn't have. But 17, I could, and I could do something small. So start off small and be a blessing. So our assignment is ask for more. Ask for more with a heart to be a generous giver. Let's pray together.